always uh, hate not being with you on Sunday mornings, but I'm so thrilled that you get to hear one of my good friends, Josh Jackson, today. Josh and his wife, Tina, they have done ministry in Texas, Georgia, Florida, and now they're in Tennessee at the Rural Hills Church in Nashville. Uh, Josh and I have had a chance to speak at the same places, to be on the same forums, and uh, I, I just love this guy. I reached out to him a couple of months ago, asked him to come, and I'm just thrilled that we get to have him in Memphis today. So I know you are going to thoroughly enjoy uh, what God has to say through our friend Josh. So open up your hearts, your ears, and let's receive from God this morning. Friend Josh, so open up your hearts, your ears. Good morning. And good morning to those of you who are watching online. I am grateful to be here. It used to be that we only came to Memphis to go to Ikea. <laughs> we don't have one of those in Nashville. And then Josh gave us some food recommendations, and we found this place called the Cheesecake Corner. And so after I preach, I need to come confess, because we sinned last night. Oh, that cheesecake, <laughs> Lord. My, my wife was like, oh, this might be a new reason to come to Memphis. But no, we are forever grateful to be here, and I'm even more thankful that I get to be here to proclaim God's Word. And I'm excited about the text we're going to use. It's a very familiar text for most of us, I'm assuming, but if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke, the 15th chapter. And we're going to find ourselves situated in the last part of this. But to kind of set this up, I want us to hear how this starts. Because this section of Scripture is very unique to Luke. But it also reinforces the very theme of what Luke attempts to do in his gospel. Because there's no other place in all of Scripture do you see Jesus having so many meals. Luke is intentional about Jesus spending time at the table with the other people. And not just any particular group of people, but more importantly, Jesus spends time eating and fellowshipping with those on the margins. Jesus eats with the poor, the outcasts, and more often than not, those who are considered sinners. And this is where we pick up in Luke 15. Verse 1 of Luke 15 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. And so then Jesus tells these parables. And so he's going to tell three parables, but in these three parables, there's a particular function of these parables that I want us to understand. And I want us to make sure that we're intentional about these particular parables because Luke is intentional how he records them. But before we get into the last parable, I want to summarize what's going on in these other ones. So the first parable that Jesus tells, which is very unique to Luke, is the story about a lost sheep. And the reason these parables are so unique is because unlike Matthew, when Jesus tells parable, he usually sets them up by saying the kingdom of God is like. But Jesus doesn't do that here. In Luke, these parables are not so much explaining what the kingdom of God is like, but he's explaining something else that has implications for the kingdom of God as a whole. And so Jesus tells the first parable about a shepherd who has sheep. And he says, so what shepherd would not leave the 99 to go find the one that's lost? And when he finds that one, 
would he not rejoice over finding the one? And he ends that parable by saying, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Do you hear what Jesus says to these teachers of the law and these Pharisees? This doesn't go down well. And this is because Jesus eats with these sinners. The next parable is the parable of the woman who has the ten coins and she loses one in the house. She cleans the whole house. She sweeps the whole house. She finally finds her coin. And it says that she calls her friends and tells them, I found my coin. And they get together and rejoice. And Jesus ends with the same. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then the final story, probably the most famous of them all, probably one of the most famous parables in all of Scripture. The parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And I want us to read this so that you can hear how Luke weaves different narratives together to come out to one particular focus. In verse 11 of Luke chapter 15, the word of God reads, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, or give me my inheritance. And he divided his property between them. If you have your Bibles, I need you to highlight, circle that, or whatever, so that you take notice that he divides it between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to become a need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now watch how the text changes. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. 
but he was angry and refused to go in. And so his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his son, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that, I, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. In this text, we see that Jesus put some things together that I want us to put together this morning, and the lesson will be yours. The first thing is an invitation. Now, traditionally in Church of Christ, after every sermon, we give that good invitation. This is your opportunity to make a change. And Jesus extends an invitation. Jesus, in these parables, puts together invitations. The problem is not everybody wants the invite based on who's on the guest list. See, it's not that the Pharisees can't join in the fellowship. They can't come to the feast. They just don't want to be there if the sinners are there. And Jesus says, it's not that I'm excluding you. You're excluding yourself because you don't want to eat with them. But I'm okay eating with them. And if you want to eat with me, you have to get comfortable with eating with them. And so their first response is that either you need to pick Jesus, whether you're going to eat with them or whether you're going to eat with us. And Jesus says, I choose them. And this is what hurts their feelings. This is why they don't like Jesus, because Jesus chooses those on the margins over those who think they have everything together in life. And it's not that Jesus doesn't want the Pharisees to come eat with him. We see this even in Luke chapter 7. We see the Pharisee that invites Jesus to his house, and Jesus goes. But there's this sinful woman that shows up, and Jesus gives her attention in front of the Pharisee, in which the Pharisee gets frustrated and irritated and upset with Jesus, because Jesus shows attention to those on the margins. And here they are now complaining, Jesus, you're better than this. You know you shouldn't eat with people who don't have their lives all together. Jesus, you should not be fellowshipping and sitting down to enjoy a meal with people who are broken, who are discouraged, who have problems. You should eat with people like us who, you know, we got life together. That's what you should be doing. And Jesus turns and says, no, nah, I'd rather eat with those people. And in each section, he makes it clear that eating with those people, the people that the Pharisees want nothing to do with, is part of the mission of God. And so Jesus extends the invitation to the older brother to come join the younger brother's fellowship. The father even comes out to the older brother and says, look, you have an opportunity to come in. You're not excluded from the celebration. It's whether you choose to come in or not. But the older brother says, nah, I don't like who's on the guest list. So I'm going to stay outside. And I'm going to be angry and upset. But here's the other part of this. Not only does he extend an invitation, Jesus actually wants them to come in. Jesus' greatest desire is for them to come in. 
And this is the part that they missed. And I hope we don't miss it just like this older brother missed it. The celebration wasn't about the son. The meal with the sinners was not about the sinners. It was about time with the father. And sometimes we miss out on moments with the father because we're afraid or we're upset about who's also at the table with us. We're more concerned about the people around us than the one who invited us to the table in the first place. I remember being a young person, we'd always get together for family meals, especially for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it was a big deal when you got to sit at the adult table. Some of y'all know that life, you know, you're sitting at the kids' table. There's only so long you can sit at the kids' table, especially if it was a legitimate kids' table where your knees are hitting the side of the table. You just can't wait to graduate, right? You're waiting on somebody not to show up or somebody to pass on so you can get that seat. <laughs> I know that sounds horrible, but we all did it, I'm assuming, right? We were all like, she doesn't need to be there anymore, she, right? We love great-grandma, though. But you just wanted the seat at the adult table. For some reason, you just thought the conversation was so much better if I could just get over there. But there was always that one person who was like, well, if so-and-so coming, I'm not coming. Okay, well, more food for us. And this is how it is in this text. That it wasn't about what was going to be on the table. It's who's actually going to be at the table and who was most important at the table is that they got to spend time with the Father. That some of us have missed out on really important meals that would could have connected us and would have built relationships and would have helped strengthen our relationships, but we were too busy and too concerned with other things that we missed out on special times. See, looking back on it, I wish that I would have taken more intentionality with some of those family meals. Sometimes I was more concerned with other things going on around me. I was too busy playing on my phone in some cases or wondering about what other things I hadn't accomplished or gotten done that I missed out on the experience of being in the moment. I missed out on time with God because I was too busy looking around at everything and everyone else and being concerned with wasn't, what wasn't the most important thing. And this is what's happening. They're more concerned about the sinners being at the table than realizing that they had an opportunity to eat with Jesus. The son who refuses to come in has an opportunity to sit with his father, to have a conversation and really special moments with his dad. And he says, because that brother of mine is there, or that, in his words, that son of yours, he's like, I'm not coming to do it. And he missed out on something really important. That's time he won't get back. That's an opportunity he won't get to repeat. There's no reset for that. And last but not least in this text, we got to learn to rejoice again. I know this last year has been hard. This last 18 months have been a challenge. We all know it. And if COVID wasn't enough, well, you just take your pick whenever you turn on news. Other things have happened that have made it even more challenging. But there was a time when we got really excited about people giving their life to God. There was a time when people confessing their sins and asking for repentance brought about celebration and enthusiasm and excitement. 
There was a time when we saw people come forward and we cared intentionally about what was going on in their life. We wanted to walk life's journey with them. We heard people's testimonies and we got inspired to follow God even more. And Jesus says that heaven still rejoices over people who decide to make God a priority. And I think sometimes we get so used to being in church for so long, we take it for granted that we're already connected. We have a relationship with God. I never see myself as the Pharisee, really. But the more I look at this text, I think I'm more like them than I would like to admit. Sometimes I see people come forward and it's like, oh, they're coming forward again. Or the same person asks for prayer requests every week. But who am I to judge what's going on in their life? And isn't it a great thing that they feel comfortable enough to come to the Father with whatever's on their heart and that's burdening them? And shouldn't we be excited that they know that they have a God who answers and hears them? We should celebrate that. But instead, we're like, man, can they hurry it up? I got things to do. I got a reservation for lunch. The football game is coming on or whatever else is going on. And everything else becomes more important that we forget to celebrate people who come to God. And I even forget to celebrate it in my own life. See, this story is so special to me because the son who comes to himself, when he comes to the father, the father also comes to him. And the father's happier than the son is. The father's already rejoicing. He runs to him. He's compassionate toward him. He's ready to celebrate. And the son isn't asking for any of this. It's all based on the father. And when they get together to have this feast, it's not even about that son. It's all about the father. And the older brother doesn't see it. And so he misses out. The younger brother is only glad that he's welcomed back with open arms. But wouldn't it have been amazing if they would have both been there together celebrating the fact that they have a really generous and loving father. See, that's the part of the story that Jesus wants us to see. That the love of God is big enough both for the Pharisee and for the sinner. That the table where God calls us all has enough room for those of us who think we have it all together and for those whose lives are completely broken and busted. That the table that God provides with the sacrifice of Jesus, the food is plentiful for those who are full and for those who have very little to eat. But if we're not willing to accept the invitation, and if we're not willing to spend time with the Father, if we're more concerned with who's at the table or who's not at the table than actually realizing that God is the one at the table, then we miss out on moments to rejoice and to celebrate. See, I know that just like us, you guys have those little pre-made communion things with the styrofoam cracker. That's the best way to describe it. Nobody knows what's in that. It's non-perishable and it, yeah, it tastes like packing peanuts. How I know that, uh, I was a kid once, I tasted them, they're disgusting. <laughs> But sometimes we get in the routine of just taking it. 
And I hope we don't miss what's really going on in that moment. That's the moment where God calls us all to the table. And it's super special. Because just like in this story, nobody deserved to be at the table. It's just the Father chooses to let us come. God is the orchestrator of the table. Every time Jesus is at the table, everybody becomes unworthy. But yet, he allows us to sit there anyway. I get to put my feet under the table of God, knowing who I am. All the sin in my life still gives me a place at God's table. And it's not because I'm so good, I'm so smart, none of that matters. And that's the same thing that's happening in this text. So do we see this text the way Luke writes it? And are we excited to be at God's table this morning? Do we come to God's table thankful? Do we come to God's table willing to receive his invitation? Because there are times in my life previously when I used to think, man, I've done so many horrible things that sometimes on Sunday I would look and say, man, I don't even deserve to take this, and I wouldn't. And some of you might have been there. That they would pass the trays, man, pre-COVID, right? You pass those trays, and you would just pass it on. He was like, I, I just can't take it right now. I just don't feel like, I'm, like I deserve to take it. Guess what? You never deserve to take it. You didn't. The reason we take it is because God gives it to us to receive it, not because I'm worthy to take it. And so the Pharisees believe they're worthy of taking it, and the sinners willing to receive it. And so I ask us this morning, when we come to the table, let's receive the invitation of God to eat and to drink, to celebrate, to rejoice, but most importantly to remember that the reason we're at the table is because God's at the table. And God invites us to spend time with him. And if we can spend time with God, Man, what a wonderful time that is. Don't miss the opportunity to spend time with God and put your feet under his table. But instead, let's be excited that we get an opportunity to do so. Pray with me this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you with thanksgiving in our hearts, knowing, God, that we are not perfect people. But there is one who is perfect. And it is his perfect sacrifice that allows us a place at your divine table. A table that has plenty of food. A table that has more than beautiful conversations. It is a table in which you are present. And so God, we get to be at the holy place with the one who is most holy. And that is you. So God, I ask that you stir our hearts that we will accept your invitation to come, that we will receive what you have to give us, and that we learn to rejoice with those who are at the table with us. God, help us to be excited about your table and what you have done through all of us 
so that we can invite others to the table as well. God, the table is the place where all people are celebrated, all people are welcome, and sin is forgiven. God, we thank you. Father, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.